The Honorable, the Judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. All persons have any manner of form of business before the Honorable, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, I admonish to give their attention, for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Mr. Lynn, you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning, and may it please the court. My name is Albert Lynn, and I'm here on behalf of Justice Lawfrey. The only question in this appeal is whether the district court should have held an evidentiary hearing in light of the Twitter activity of one juror Justice Lawfrey's criminal trial. We have offered several bases for that hearing, but I'd like to start today with the ground we highlighted in our petition for rehearing, which is that a hearing was required under the Supreme Court's decision in Remmer, this court's decision in Barnes. Both the district court and the government set the bar too high for a Remmer hearing, requiring proof that juror A actually saw highly prejudicial information on social media, rather than merely asking whether Lawfrey had made a genuine and credible allegation that this had occurred. If adopted, that novel requirement would significantly undermine the ability of criminal defendants to, as this court said in Barnes, uncover otherwise unknowable facts to prove a Sixth Amendment violation. This court explained counsel, in Barnes that- This is counsel. Yes, Your Honor. So this is Judge A.G. Um, there was quite a bit more direct evidence in Barnes than you have here, but my first question is, in the context of your argument, uh, when the court's examining whether or not there is an allegation, a credible allegation of external evidence of an improper juror contact, is that limited to Twitter contacts like we have in this case because of the way that uh, service provider operates or is it broader to cover all types of social media? Um, Judge, I want to make sure I understand your question the, as to the standard of a genuine and credible allegation. Are you asking whether that applies only to Twitter or to all social media? Am I, is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Somebody has to write an opinion on this case. And as I understand it, Twitter operates somewhat differently than other social media. So what I'm uh, asking you about is whether or not your argument covers social media and Toto or whether it's limited to Twitter. Uh, I, I understand. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, our argument is that that is the standard that this court set forth in Barnes. So to answer your question directly, I would say the genuine and credible allegation standard applies in all cases. Now, the facts, of course, of any particular Remmer claim, Remmer case, are going to vary. And we do think that the unique nature of Twitter, Judge Agee, as you referred to, the fact that it is not necessarily chronological, that tweets are uh, basically permanent unless you actively delete them, so they can sort of show up unannounced, in your feed, those are all things to take into account in the highly fact-intensive analysis for a Remmer hearing. We think they weigh in favor of a hearing here. They may weigh in favor of a hearing in, in many cases that involve Twitter, but we don't think as a general matter that the standard differs from case to case. We think that's the standard this court uh, has long adhered to, was, was articulated, I think, very clearly in Barnes and would apply to, to all cases, whether it's Twitter, social media, or even traditional media, newspaper or television, it just may be, depending on the facts, more difficult to meet. And we think the fact that this involves Twitter is one element that uh, sort of militates in the favor of a hearing. 
So, well, Mr. Social media Mr. Land, is a very different context to this whole area of, of Rimmer uh, uh, investigation. So, you know, for instance, in Barnes, you had three jurors, including the suspect juror, who made statements. Uh, so you had really direct evidence in that case. But in social media, um, I'm curious as to your view as to how uh, counsel in a particular case, criminal or civil, is to find out about that. I mean, is it your view, for instance, that um, juror of voir dire would include uh, requests for the court to require the prospective jurors to turn over their devices, their electronic devices for review by counsel? Uh, Your Honor, the, the, the short answer to that is that's not what we're asking for as a prophylactic matter. I think your, your point is, is the point that we have tried to make here, which that it is much more difficult in the social media context and with respect to Twitter specifically to get the kind of direct evidence that you might get uh, in, in other cases. Although I will say it can also be very difficult to get direct evidence that say somebody has watched a television broadcast of a, you know, a news report in their house at night. Um, but of course, we, we as a judicial system need to balance the needs of the jurors and we don't put them in a, you know, a plastic box in every case. We don't sequester them in every case because we, that's a balance that, that the judicial system has decided to make. And that's the reason why Remmer exists. And I think if you have the evidence, in some cases, Your Honor, it's going to be direct, as you point out. But in many cases, it's going to be difficult for it to be direct. And I think Twitter is certainly one of those uh, uh, the mediums where it would be very difficult, barring somebody actually seeing the person doing it and, and testifying to that, which I think is very difficult with the way that you can read stuff on your phones these days. Counsel, let me, Counsel, let me if ask I could, you if this. I... So these evidentiary hearings can um, be, become a little bit of a fishing expedition. and. I'm worried about, um, I'm concerned, Rimmer serves a definite purpose, and I understand that, but I'm concerned about pushing Rimmer too far. And when we, 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 we start um, holding evidentiary hearings and probing this and probing that, I'm wondering whether we put um, really a, a very heavy burdens upon jury service because um you, you you have to need to remember that these citizens who serve on juries are taking time from their personal lives and are disrupting their their personal schedules all in the all in the service of a very noble civic obligation but if in addition to hearing the case which sometimes can go on for quite a while they're going to be subject to a bunch of uh, post-verdict procedures and post-verdict probes and all the rest are we putting an unwarranted burden of um a burden upon um jury service the federal rules of evidence warn us against that and um, I just think when we are requiring evidentiary hearings with little more than we have here, what is this? 
what is this going to do down the road to the willingness of our citizens to give of their time in jury service for the criminal justice system? I understand your concern, Your Honor, but I think as 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 you were pointing out, it, it is a balance, uh, and we do need to protect the rights of the defendant, in particular in criminal cases, and and so we do, as a judicial system, make certain judgments about how much of a burden we're going to put on jurors, either a, a sort of as a prophylactic matter by sequestering them or or, or giving instructions or. Uh, you know, telling them not to be on social media or, you know. Uh, limit, what's your limiting Mr. principle Mr. If, we, if we drift too far into the speculative and if, if we hold evidentiary hearings on the basis of speculation or what might be or whatever, what's your limiting principle? How do we keep this from becoming an unwarranted um, uh, an unwarranted burden. What what would you do to limit this? I, I understand, Your Honor, and that that would be my next point, which would be on on this end of it. Remmer exists, and we apply it. I think in, in every case, and you have to. It's a fact specific analysis, and I think the answer to your question is, it's not speculative here. There are a number of facts all taken together. I think one of the most important ones that may not exist in every case is that there was documented interest by the juror in Justice Lawfrey leading up to the trial, not just interest, but intense interest, and not just intense interest, but on this very platform. So it's not as though she had passing interest in Justice Lawfrey on newspapers. She had, of the 11 times she chose to publicly interact with tweets on Twitter in the four months leading to trial, Four of those involve Justice Lawfrey. And I think that is an important fact here that in future cases could be uh, a limiting principle that you, you have not just uh, the fact that she had the means and opportunity, meaning that she had access to Twitter, she used Twitter, and she followed uh, reporters who tweeted 73 times between them about and some of those tweets, I think, were, were classically prejudicial statement Mr. by Mr. Lynn, Mr. Yes, Lynn, this. don't we do that by the fact that she was asked uh, of all the knowledge you have about this case impeachment would it prevent you from giving a verdict based solely on the evidence she said yes it would don't we do that with all jurors we, we do ask that of all jurors uh, why do you think that when a district court judge heard her and and and, and Council didn't give to do much of a board deal when it had an opportunity to go further. Why is it not sufficient when she says that as to prior, the four months prior, whatever that whatever that was, I'm going to decide this case based so, solely on the evidence. That's what she said under oath, correct? Yes, Your Honor. All right. So now my question is this. Let's get back to Rimmer. Uh, you said the balance. Well, the balance is you don't have to show prejudice to get the hearing. But the other balance is this. The Supreme Court said uh, we're looking for protecting the sanctity of jurors to be, to be free from the possibility of outside unauthorized intrusions purposely made. And therefore, we're looking for improper contact about the case with the juror. So you do have to show improper contact, not just contact. What was the improper or the violation of the juror? 
you know, the improper contact here was was the juror going out and and reading information about that that could be prejudicial. And I think this is no different. Reading information. What information? The record says she read during the there trial. Are, there, there are tweets during uh, the trial. During the trial about the case. There there were tweets by these uh, two reporters, Mr. Bass and Mr. McElhaney. I said that she read that she read that information. And that is the question here. And that's Mara. what I'm asking you. I, I, I don't think what Remmer requires is proof that she read this. I think it requires a credible allegation that no, she read it. No, it, it requires improper contact. If someone if someone wrote something and there's no evidence that they someone read it, how is that improper contact? Now, it may be, are you saying it's improper for a journalist to write about it? I thought the question is whether or not she read it. it your honor uh we think that the what this court has said and i think in this in barnes and other cases is is not that there's proof of improper contact but that there is a a credible allegation of improper contact no i wear those cases for example in, in rimmer there was a, a proposed bribery that is you know if you help out here then maybe you can help yourself uh in harris improper was imputed to the juror because only they said only a juror would research because she a juror can't research information but that was imputed to the juror and the other cases dealt with jurors collectively making uh information another case in the fourth circuit said a person went to their pastor and asked for the definition where do you have the improper contact or conduct on the jurors part here or anybody that could be any act that could be imputed. You see, you can't have speculation upon speculation because that would that's the balance, isn't it? Improper contact. Well, Your Honor, Your Honor, two, two answers to Mr. that. Mr. Lynn, uh, can you answer the question first, Mr. Lynn? And then, 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 then just did. Go ahead. Of course, Your Honor. Um, two answers to that. As to Harris, uh, I don't think it was simply imputed. There was, yeah, it was, it was the juror's live-in girlfriend who viewed the information, but there was no evidence, direct evidence there that the live-in girlfriend had seen or read anything about the trial. The only evidence in Harris was that she had read the LinkedIn page of the defendant. And, and a LinkedIn page, Your Honor, as I'm sure you're aware, is simply a, an online resume. And there was no evidence that she had seen anything about the trial. It was assumed by the Sixth Circuit that she had gotten to that LinkedIn page by Googling the juror. And then on the Google page, as the defense counsel said, by doing it himself, there was prejudicial information about the trial on that Google page. So it was assumed that the live-in girlfriend had seen this prejudicial information. And then, Your Honor, as you point out, it was then assumed that she had then conveyed that information, again, which there was no evidence that she had actually seen, to the juror. So I think Harris is actually, there's far less compelling evidence than there is here that the actual contact occurred. Judge Diaz has a question. Thank you, Your Honor. Well, uh, it was gonna be more of a hint, and you've, you've taken it, Mr. Lynn, that you we look to Harris, so we can disagree with the, <laughs> the result in Harris, I suppose, and suggest that it was wrongly decided, but as, as you have pointed out, there was no direct allegation of communication, just a possibility that it had occurred, and that was by itself sufficient to warrant the hearing. But I guess we need to get back to the nature of the technology here, right? Because it's a 
the very nature of the technology that prevents you from making that direct connection that Judge Judge Har uh, the Chief Judge, and I you know I don't blame uh, my colleagues for for wanting that, but I think we need to look at the nature of the technology here and understand it to know that it's just impossible to do more than what the defendant did in this case. And I want to get back to a point that Judge Wilkinson made about the importance of jury service. As someone who presided over a number of trials as a state trial judge, I, I don't I don't minimize at all the burdens that we place on jurors. But it's also important to recognize that jurors take an oath to comply with their obligations to decide a case fairly and impartially. And if we have a credible allegation that a juror failed in that oath, I think we would be doing a disservice by not pursuing that simply because the nature of the technology doesn't lend itself to the kind of direct proof that has historically and conventionally been part of the analysis. So I, I think we we need to focus on the nature of the technology here. And I think the limiting principle, as you have pointed out, is just not the notion that a juror is on Twitter. That can't be enough because God knows we'd never be able to uh, impanel a juror if that was the test. It's the confluence of facts in this case that, it, in my view, uh, warrant at least further probing and, 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 and questioning. Now, my question, here's the question. Uh, if, if a majority of the court agrees with that, how, how, what would an evidentiary hearing look like in this case? Is it going to be simply putting the juror up on the witness stand and asking her directly? Because I imagine, I think you know what the answer is going to be, uh, but w what more do you anticipate uh, the court could or would allow in such a, such a process? Um, yes, Your Honor. I think you could ask, obviously, the direct question would be, did you see these tweets? Did you see and you could identify particular tweets? But I think you could also ask her about her other Twitter activity to assess the credibility of her answer. Do you, if she says, I don't remember reading this or I didn't read this, do you remember reading other tweets uh, during that time? Um, you know, what do you remember of your Twitter activity? And and then And then there's a judgment call to be made as to, you know, what her answers were as to whether she was exposed and what her credibility is as to her memory of what she saw. Um, but, but Judge Diaz, I think it, your, your point is, is exactly right. And I think one of the things that I wanted to stress is um, I do think that the standard is a credible allegation of, of actual contact. And I think that makes sense for this. Can I ask a question? Uh, yes, you, yes, Your Honor. Over time. I think Judge Niemeyer is also trying to speak, but you go mute, so I'm going to take that opportunity to go ahead and ask mine. <laughs> um, so, so I want to return to the, to the Chief's earlier point, right? He, he quotes Rimmer um, as, as requiring a purposeful activity. And if we read 606B2, right, it requires that the outside influence be brought to the jury, right? It requires some affirmative action. And if we look at all of the cases that the chief discussed, they're not passive receipt of publicly available information. They're attempts to bribe or their uh, contact with a pastor that's directed, right? It's purposeful activity. We don't have anything purposeful here. And so help me understand, how, what do I do with that? Why is that not make your case different from all of these other rumor cases? Your Honor, I don't think the purposeful element uh, means simply that it's purposefully brought from the outside. United States versus Lawson from this court, 2012, involves the reading of a Wikipedia entry <coughs> by a defendant and not something that was brought to, uh, I'm sorry, by a juror, 
not something that was brought affirmatively to the juror, but that the juror, uh, him or herself, went out and read the Wikipedia entry. I don't think that's really any different than what we have here, which is that uh, you've got a juror who, again, we think given the confluence of facts and in particular, the uh, the interest in Justice Lawfrey on this very medium ahead of time is what creates the credible allegation that she went out and read these tweets, saw them, read them. Uh, and there's a question here. So, so, so Mr. Lynn, Mr. Lynn, to follow up on uh, on, on that, and, and, may, and this kind of involves, I guess, several of my colleagues' questions, but if someone had been reading the, um, you know, Charleston Gazette about this, and that was known, and and they took the oath that said, despite that, they could be fair and swore that they would do that, and the judge instructed the jurors not to, you know, read news accounts or watch TV about the case, and someone says, I saw Juror A reading the newspaper. Um, no and, and the actual only information that was that they were reading the newspaper about, you know, an unrelated event. Is it your, uh, under your theory, would that warrant a Rimmer hearing? No, Your Honor. And, and I think it really is, again, a question of, of what facts you have. If you, if you know, for example, that the juror was reading a particular section of the newspaper on a particular uh, day and you know that there was an article in that section, I think that that might be enough. And it's just that, or if you know that she had a proclivity to read in the newspaper about uh, uh, about Justice Lawfrey, then again, I think that would be an additional fact, the same medium, the same interest that would be helpful. But, you know, for example, the, the government uh, cites a case, Tunstall from the Eighth Circuit, where the allegation was that there was just a juror, uh, not even a juror in the particular case, had been seen in the jury room reading a newspaper. No allegation as to what the newspaper was. That is not enough, and we completely agree with that. But we think that the facts we have here are very different. And I do want to stress this point, which is what is the consequence if these facts are not enough? In what case? Well, let me, let well, me ask yes, you, Mr. Yes, Beck, just, uh, if we focus on the trial, uh, uh, the contact during trial about a matter relating to the trial. Uh, the evidence in this case is that uh, the juror uh, had two tweet engagements, both about football. Uh, there is no evidence that she had any other tweet engagements or that it was about the trial. Now, the question I have is if we just limit to that aspect, wouldn't every juror be subject to a Remmer hearing because my suggestion is that every juror uh, is, uh, or most jurors are participants in social media. And during the course of the trial, you say the, the uh, there was reporting on the social media by the newspapers and the reporters, but that is the same for every juror. So the question I'm really asking is how do we, where do we draw the line if we're not going to require a specific contact. And your argument, as I hear it, is, okay, the summer tweets. Well, the summer tweets were four tweets over the period of four months, one a month. She went on tweets only 11 times the entire summer. That's a two, three times a month. And the tweets they had during the summer were just about the investigation and the uh, uh, 
what the legislature was doing. It was not about the case. So you're arguing that her four times during the summer, average of once a month, is enough to impute to her during trial that she acted with misconduct. And I just like to know where the line is, because it seems to me uh, this type of conduct uh, during trial where we have two tweets involving football, and that's it. Uh, how we uh, call her in for a hearing, and why, why don't we call in all 12 jurors? Uh, Chief, I see my time has expired. May I answer? Oh, yes, yes, you may. Um, Your Honor, if I could, just two responses. The first is, if you do take just the evidence during trial, uh, I agree with you that that is not enough. But I don't think you can just take the tweets during trial. I think you have to look at all of it because it speaks, it is evidence that speaks to what she might have done. As to the stuff beforehand, I think it's important to remember the nature of this technology. The 11 times are the times that she publicly interacted with the tweet. That is not the number of times that she was on Twitter. Many people are on Twitter all the time and don't do anything that leaves a public trail. So our point is, of the 11 times that she saw an interest in something enough. No, you don't have you don't have a lot of evidence, and we never do. We don't know how many times a juror walks by a newsstand and reads the headline. We, we can't know that. The problem is that we're in a trial, and to establish some kind of prejudice, you have to come up with evidence. You don't just speculate. Now, this woman went on four times over the period of four months. That's what we have. And the four times were quite innocuous. Uh, there have been reported. We, we reported those in the, in the, in the uh, earlier opinion, the panel opinion in this case. And uh, she indicated after she'd seen those four, which were not about the case, but about uh, related matters, uh, or the ethics violation and the impeachment violation, uh, 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 she saw four times during the summer. And she said that wouldn't influence her decision on the case. She listened to the evidence. Of course, as we know, we participated in an acquittal uh, on several counts and did listen to the evidence. But I get to the point where what troubles me is why shouldn't we, on the basis of your type of allegations, have to bring every juror in following a trial to make sure they didn't go and search out improper information during the course of a trial. And we just don't have that. And it, it, it seems to me it the line, I understand the fear you have. There's increased risk, there's no question. But the question is, where are we going to draw a line if we don't require evidence of at least one contact? That's improper. And one, we don't have that yet. We're speculating. One sentence, Your Honor. The one sentence response, uh, uh, Judge Niemeyer, is that the, the proper context is it's four out of the 11 times that she chose to publicly interact with Twitter. That's nearly 40%, it's actually 36%. That shows an interest, a public interest, an undisputed interest in this particular defendant that may not, you may not have in every case. So counsel, what is the answer to this? Are we driving courts in the direction of saying that, I don't know what sequestration is gonna look like in the future, but it might be like this. If you're going to sit on the jury in a case where there's a lot of publicity the way there was with this one, you've got to check all your iPhones and check all your cell phones and check all the technology that you have on your person with the court um, and put it into some kind of safe. 
And um, in order to cut off the possibility of uh, this sort of evidentiary hearing, because district judges will be very sensitive to what we say and say, oh, well, we've got to avoid this. And is the way to avoid it in a heavily publicized trial just to say to check your iPhone, to check your cell phone, everything, if you're going to sit on a jury, is that what we should do? Well, Your Honor, I think that, that is, that's one way to avoid this kind of contact, which I think is, is something to be concerned about, because I think the prejudice uh, that comes from an individual who reads Twitter passively is the same, or perhaps worse than the, than the, yeah. the prejudice of someone who actively interacts with a tweet. And so, I'm sorry, Your Honor, yes. Yeah, Mr. Lin, um, if I could, could add to that thought, uh, to what extent do we uh, put into the mix the fact that the district judge found that she had potentially been either untruthful or inaccurate in answering question number six concerning her past exposure to social media? And the fact that uh, apparently said she had not heard anything from Twitter when we know, in fact, she had been exposed to Twitter in the past about this trial. I haven't heard you say anything about it, and I know it addresses in part your McDonough argument, but um, it, it seems to me that arguably that does factor into the mix here. Yes, Your Honor, I think you could take that fact into account. I haven't mentioned it because I do think it speaks mainly to the McDonough uh, uh, claim and whether there should have been a hearing to inquire into her. Right, but why doesn't it make a difference in this case if we know that the juror was asked about whether she had seen anything on Twitter? She didn't respond that she had, and now we know that that was inaccurate. I agree, Your Honor. I do think it is. I'm sorry, Your Honor. Yeah. I do think it is a factor that can be taken into account. We don't think we need it. I do really think, uh, and I, I know there's been some, there's some, some judges think differently, but I do think that the four out of 11 uh, tweets uh, activity that is publicly documented ahead of time, that's a fact that, again, you're not going to see in a lot of cases. And, and, and one, I, I've gone well over my time, uh, and so I can, I will save my further answers for rebuttal. Chief, can I, I just I, I have, please, Judge, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Judge Much. Uh, I just have one question. It's because I'm, I'm not very technically, as my colleagues can tell you, technically alert. But my understanding is you can be on Twitter without ever making, a, a, having it show that you've looked at a message. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct, Your Honor. And, and so this person could have been on Twitter for everything and seen everything. We don't know definitively or not. We know she followed those people, so it would automatically have come up. That's and right. We know she followed those people. It would have come up in her feed. It doesn't come up necessarily chronologically, and so she oh. could have seen it on a different day as well. Right. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. So, Sorry. So my, my question goes, um, you know, whenever we wade into developing technology with traditional legal jurisprudence, uh, our understanding of how it works is critical to it. We can't just do it as though we're looking at a newspaper or we're looking at items. For instance, you know, to say someone looked at something for four times or that she tweeted 11 times, uh, that means she liked the tweet. Uh, or, and, and, and we've got to look into what is fed into this Twitter algorithm. And when you're looking at the technology here of what a Twitter represents, 
And that's important because we, we all know Twitter can be tremendously influential. And not every, here's your limiting principle, not every jury, juror is going to follow a reporter in terms of what they're tweeting. That's the limiting principle. And if we start out with this notion that we're going to put our heads down in the sand and says, well, you know, she only did it during trial during this time period here. The purpose of the hearing is to find that out. And it's a simple hearing. It's not like you got to reinvent the, the wheel on it. And, and, and Lord knows maybe our trial judges and we are overworked, but I don't see it. I, I mean, in terms of the number of cases we deal with, just conduct a simple hearing. And when you conduct this simple hearing, you will find the answers. But to begin this process as though you understand the Twitter technology in relation to social media and not inquire as to, well, she's following these reporters, which you should be doing, and not every jury is doing that. And so when you get into the whole question of the technology here, that's the, that's the problem here with this case is we don't know. And, and, and the answer from maybe some of my colleagues would be, well, don't look because, okay. you know, she hasn't said anything. And if you don't look, yeah, you won't see anything. But it doesn't work that way in 2021. We're not back 30, 40 years ago. We're dealing with a whole different world in terms of technology. And when you got people who are following people online who ought to be making decisions in the case, and these are people who are reporting on the case, why not simply just ask the question? And that's all you got to do. And then the judge can make a decision. But you just blow it aside and don't do it. I don't get that. I don't understand because I don't think it's I don't think it limits itself. And maybe correct me to she just looked at it four times during the trial or she just looked at it. is that is that true? I mean, how do we know that uh, what we know are the likes. And if you know the difference between likes, what is the difference between liking a tweet and following the tweet? Does that mean you only just looked at the likes? Certainly not. Judge and Marks. that's the inquiry here. Judge, <laughs> Judge Marks? No, no, no. Oh, well, I, I, I would like a response to that, Judge. Oh, yes. oh I didn't know it was a question. Okay. Yes, Your Honor. That, and that, that, is, that is the concern. When you, when, you, when you see a tweet, there's no public trail. If you like a tweet, it means that you've affirmatively decided to indicate publicly that you not only saw it, but you liked it. Now, what does like mean to a particular individual? That's not clear, but that leaves the trail that you've actually seen it. But just because you didn't like it doesn't Mr. mean Lynn, Mr. Yes, Lynn, Your Honor. yes, Your Honor. Judge Wynn and everybody spoke, raised good points about technology. But here's the question, my biggest, help me with this. Of course. It seems like you're punishing her for being a, a, an avid reader, an avid follower, if you will, just like people who read the paper. Used to be right. Forty years ago, people read the newspaper. That's why you say, "Did you read anything in the newspaper?" And in fact, in fact, you, no, it didn't. You move on. Now it's that. The question here, it seems like you're punishing her about pre-jury. She's not a juror. She's a free citizen before she's on the jury. In this case, you knew. I'm imputing to you. Your side knew that she knew something about the impeachment. You knew there was an overlap in the facts of impeachment and this case, in quotes. And you had an opportunity, the judge did a great job in giving you a chance, go at it. You asked further questions. You didn't ask what was the source of your information about impeachment. You didn't ask anything about social media. You didn't ask who it was. You had that opportunity to do it. Now that it's over, 
you want to take her non-jury contact and following and say now you can put her through the gauntlet of questioning when you had the opportunity to do so yourself and you don't have any evidence that she that she read any tweet as a juror you're saying but because she did this before it's likely she did it again is that enough on the rimmer when they were looking for improper contact that's my question Thank you, Your Honor. A couple of answers to that. I think the first is um, the, the question of the voir dire and, and what happened in her honesty during it can be relevant. But I think it's important that the voir dire and the questions and her answers there not be used to immunize somebody from the potential Remmer hearing down the road. Remmer is an independent protection against what might happen once somebody wasn't isn't paneled on the jury. Now, you know, perhaps she shouldn't have been in panel, and that's the point that we're making here. But I think it's it's separate and apart from um, uh, what happened there. If you've got other people in a different case that where maybe there isn't the same question, but they get in panel, Remmer is a separate protection against what happens once the jury is in panel and what those people might have interacted with. And I think one of the points that I want to stress here is 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 the reason why this, the, the activity ahead of time is so important is because it does show her motive and her interest. And without that, it will be very, very difficult in a future case ever to have any inquiry into a juror's passive Twitter activity. And passive, I think, is a really important point here. Judge Niemeyer has pointed out, look, if, if someone had liked something during, uh, during the trial, then you would know, of course, that she interacted with that. And that would be a different case. But what do we do about the cases where there's only passive activity and yet there's lots of, of, of evidence that shows that it's very likely that she came across this information, 73 tweets. And, and so so going, going to that point, and Chief Judge Gregory alluded to this in terms of the technology, but I don't think we can be dismissive of the technology here. We can't just bring in a newspaper. That has nothing to do with a Twitter account. We can't bring in the traditional means of communication. We're talking about a Twitter. We're talking about the type of indication that's an indication. It's a red light. You have been following these folks here. They have been right about the trial. This is what you liked over here. Doesn't mean you haven't been looking at the whole thing. The likelihood, what it indicates is there's a strong indication you've been doing this the whole while. The only purpose of the hearing is all these questions that are being asked, just ask the question. And, and then that is it. <laughs> Judge, when there there is a uh, to, to answer, I think Judge Wilkinson's question, there is a much less intrusive prophylactic approach here, which is to have district courts direct jurors uh, to use filters on their Twitter or to unfollow the reporters. So you can actually put in a filter for certain words. Could have filtered out Lawfrey. Could have filtered out, uh, you know, uh, a bass. Well, well, all, all I'm saying is it's an uncomfortable place to be in 2021. But there are, if we don't put a stop to this sort of thing now, then it is going to open the gate in the other direction. The limiting principle is what is what 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 is being advocated here to we need to limit this right now. If you don't, then you are opening it up to, well, why not just do it? And you don't know. You don't just don't have to like it. Just go ahead and just follow whatever you want to follow during the, during the course of a trial. And you don't want be in the hearing or inquiry because there's nothing that's pointing to it directly. I will just add that um, it, to the importance of this, and again, I know I've gone over my time, but I'll just say very quickly, this very same issue is before the Second Circuit right now in a case called, um, I think, Guzman, uh, Guzman Loera, 
Uh, it's come out of, I think it's the Eastern District of New York. It's not fully briefed. There's a reply brief that's due on May 11th. Thank you, uh, Chief, for the extra time. Thank you, Mr. Lin. Mr. McVeigh. Hey, please, the court. I'm Greg McVeigh. I represent the United States. Uh, the defendant's contention that there is a credible allegation of unauthorized contact with reporters' tweets and his trial is nothing more than speculation. The defendant provided no evidence whatsoever that this juror had seen any tweet by this reporter during trial or at any other time. She, there is no indication she's ever liked a tweet by either of these reporters, no indication she's retweeted a tweet by these reporters, particularly during the course of the trial, and that's where the focus should be under, uh, under Remmer. The defendant never even provided the tweets to the district court uh, that uh, the reporters, uh, Michael Haney and Bass, had during the course of this trial. The burden here, or the standard of review rather, is abuse of discretion. The district court looked at what was provided uh, to the court. It made a decision based on the facts that were presented to the court. And one cannot say that the court abused its discretion when there was just simply no evidence presented at all, circumstantial, direct, or any other way that this juror had been in contact with through uh, Twitter with the two reporters. When one looks at even the, the tweets that were um, were made during the course of the trial, I believe defendant in footnote seven of his brief uh, alluded to some of those tweets. There were nine about the trial. If you look at what those tweets concerned, uh, nine about the trial from Michael Haney, uh, those were merely sort of headline types of tweets. Uh, there was a 15 minute break or Justice Lawfrey is arriving at court or leaving court. It was barely announcing what had happened during the course uh, of the day. Mr. McVeigh, can I ask a, a question as Judge Diaz? So what yes. more in your mind would have been required in this case for uh, the defendant to have made out a proper uh, claim for a Remmer hearing given the nature of the technology that we're dealing with? I think if, if there was some indication that the uh, juror had had liked a tweet, or even in comparing it to what happened in United States versus Harris, which the defendant relies upon, if there was somebody in her household who was tweeting, that had come uh, to the fore somehow during the trial. But there's no but, evidence. You know, but of course, well. in Harris, there was no indication that that information had been, at least no direct evidence, that that information had actually been passed on to the juror. but. The Sixth Circuit in that case was willing to make the inference based on all the relevant facts that that was enough to warrant a hearing. And you mentioned earlier that you focused on the trial, but it's true, isn't it? We've talked at length with Mr. Lynn about her Twitter activity before the trial. You would like us, I think, to ignore that, uh, but we can't. I believe, respectfully, Your Honor, it is irrelevant. There were other jurors who had indicated uh, knowledge about the trial itself, knowledge about the impeachment proceedings. Those jurors were called uh, to uh, the bench for uh, individual voir dire about that. The defendant, for whatever reason, chose not to call this particular juror up. Two of those people who had indicated 
they had prior knowledge of the case ended up on the juror and on the jury rather and this juror was one of them if no well Mr. McVeigh I certainly understand that you know that that that's the fact of prior knowledge by itself is never enough to warrant excusing a juror unless they can't set that information aside and having received those assurances I don't fault the district court for not excusing the jurors but my question is why would you have us ignore the the Twitter activity that had occurred before trial and deciding whether or not what happened during the trial what the defendant uncovered post trial is enough to warrant a remedy here you want to take those in isolation but I don't think that that's appropriate well I would respectfully disagree I believe that her pre-trial activity which again it had occurred months before did not involve any contact with either of the reporters at question here they were tweets about about the impeachment proceedings from a couple of legislators as well as a private citizen some of those tweets concerned other state activity they had nothing whatsoever to do with with Justice Lawfrey and the impeachment or the trial itself the juror then took an oath to follow the law to only listen to the facts presented at trial and jurors are presumed to follow those instructions and we can presume that here without further indication that there's some sort of activity by this juror counsel sorry counsel it's judge it's judge Harris and um I I think I can probably anticipate your answer to this question but I'm struck by the fact that not only was the juror sort of actively engaging on this issue on Twitter before the trial but I think it's like the second she gets out of jury service she's back on Twitter tweeting about the trial and it just I'm not saying there's anything improper about that but when you look at all of the facts in this case she does seem to be and not judging but just a person who's actively engaged in Twitter about this issue and so if we're trying to figure out whether it's credible that someone like that given that she is following these reporters they're in her tweet in her feed would look at those tweets during trial why doesn't all of that factor in again because there has to be some allegation that that actually occurred during trial well there is an allegation and the question is whether it's credible and it just I don't understand why in determining whether or not it's credible we wouldn't look at everything we know about juror a and how she engages with Twitter about this issue but again there's no activity during the trial from this juror that occurred about the trial again her activity on Twitter is about football on October 6 that was a Saturday there there was not even a trial happening that day there were no tweets from bass on that day there was a tweet by Michael Haney I believe on up on that date talking about him taking home pens and notebooks from work mr. mr. counsel yes counsel if I could if I could interrupt it is does your answer have to be that you ignore the pretrial activity or the post trial activity I mean it seems to me it's a pretty you know pretty far stretch to say you know you can't look at anything that happened pretrial is it the answer that the standard of review is abuse of discretion 
and the district court who was closest to this looked at all this information, looked at all the factors we're talking about here today, and decided that given the totality of information, one was not required. You're not asking us, I, maybe you are, if you are, please tell us that we have to, to side with you, we have to draw some you know, some some wall between what happened pre or post trial. If you're saying that, please let us know, because it seems to me you don't have to go that far. I don't No, I'm not saying that. I, what what I'm saying is that even if you look at that and you you take her pre and post trial activity into con, into consideration, which I do believe, as you stated, that the district court did that and I guess it's considering the weight of that evidence as opposed to whether or not it could be considered, it just doesn't carry much weight. And you were correct. The district court considered all that. The district court, uh, who, as you stated, had contact with her, had contact with the trial and reviewed all the evidence that was presented uh, concerning whether or not that allegation of, of, unauth of unauthorized contact was indeed credible and concluded that uh, the defendants just did not present that. And one counsel, cannot say that the court abused counsel, its discretion in looking at that. Counsel, can can you yes. answer uh, Judge Diaz's question to Mr. Lynn? Um, and that, and the particular one I'm, I'm thinking about is, what does the hearing look like? Assume you lose, these are hypotheticals, but assume you lose and it goes back. Can you talk to us a little bit about your, your colleague, Mr. Lynn suggested a fairly wide ranging uh, set of inquiries, and I'm curious, in light of 606B, um, what your view of the sort of scope of that inquiry looks like? Well, I think this is one area in which we we substantially agree, because as what uh, my colleague argued was, there would be questions about whether or not she had seen this, and what that ends up being uh, in the United States mind is, in essence, a fishing expedition, is that they're using the hearing itself to uh, to develop a credible allegation of that unauthorized contact, and that's what that hearing would be would be for, uh, and that's just simply not what Remmer stands for. That that has to occur before uh, a hearing is granted, and again, once that hearing is granted, then there is a there is a very uh, uh, a very strong burden on, on the part of the United States to rebut the presumption that that unauthorized contact was made and that it somehow influenced this juror's decision. And that is a problem when we have jurors who are perhaps uh, have Twitter, con uh, Twitter contact during the course of the trial. There's nothing there to show that they've had any contact with reporters, that sort of thing. And, and that becomes a problem because we cannot just call in jurors after the fact to determine whether or not they had any contact with reporters. It would not be unusual for somebody on Twitter, I would say, to, to follow the news of some sort. This was a highly publicized case. Uh, can I ask a question about the record? Uh, yes. What did the district court have before it uh, with respect to post-trial contact and with respect to the reporters postings during trial? There were no tweets provided to the district court uh, that were tweeted by the rep either reporter. 
none of those were provided to the district court there was information provided to the district court about post trial tweets and again the district court said because it was post trial believe there was a mention of this juror tweeting that you know she was glad the trial was over words to that effect or was privileged to serve on that but the jury the district court considered that it was post trial and there was nothing wrong with that that wasn't any sort of contact that this juror may have had with an outside source mr. McVeigh was there any dispute that these reporters were reporting daily constantly about the trial and that you know they were doing so on Twitter there really wasn't any dispute about that there is no dispute about that that's true okay so one of the concerns that I had I'm sorry go ahead I'm sorry go ahead no we would concede there there was active reporting about the trial but again one has to consider the nature of that reporting for example bass reported that he would update about the trial on the evening news that was the entirety of one of the tweets but there was there was an active reporting about the trial our dispute is whether or not this juror had seen any of that followed any of that and there's just no evidence of that so one of the concerns that I have about this case is sort of the notion of the implication of the district courts opinion that in my view and of course my colleagues disagree essentially required some direct evidence of what it is that the juror was engaged in did you dispute or do you disagree that a defendant might be able to make out a rumor hearing without relying on direct evidence simply relying entirely on circumstantial evidence yes I would I would agree with that in fact United States versus Paris I think stands for that that there was circumstantial evidence because of the nature and the sort of the nature of the factual situation that occurred there that there was circumstantial evidence enough to make that credible allegation that the juror had had outside contact so certainly yes I would I would say this could be a situation that credible allegation could be made through circumstantial evidence here there's just no evidence in our opinion at all that this juror had any contact with the reporters tweets during the course of the trial well I mean that sort of begs the question you sit here there's no evidence there's no direct evidence but mr. Lynn has argued that in fact given the nature of the technology the most he could allege is this circumstantial chain of events that began with the pretrial Twitter activity and then continued with evidence that at least on two occasions during the course of the trial a trial in which reporters were constantly tweeting information about the trial that she engaged with Twitter and as my colleagues have indicated judge when and others the nature of this technology is such that there is there's never going to be any direct evidence of someone who simply looks at his or her feed during the course of a trial so that's circumstantial evidence so what's wrong with that I would respectfully I would respectfully disagree with that that there is just there is no evidence whatsoever that this juror had any contact with that circumstantial there's no direct evidence I will grant you that but I mean I just laid out a series of facts that's that I think suggests at least some circumstantial 
uh, inference can be made that she in fact was engaged improperly with Twitter during the course of the trial. And that's essentially that that kind of credible allegation is effectively what the Remmer hearing is designed to, to root out. Well, with regard to the pretrial activity, again, even if one considers that, that is of little weight. It was an indication uh, that yes, she had knowledge about the case, uh, but those tweets or the retweeting or the liking of those tweets that are of concern uh, had to do with people other than these two reporters. It wasn't as if she was following and liking or retweeting those reporters. Perhaps if that had been the case, that might take it over the, the bar and that might be some circumstantial evidence that she was actively following these reporters. There's no indication in those prior uh, Twitter activities that she had involvement even then with those reporters. There's no indication by her Twitter activity following trial that she was interacting with those reporters and seeing those. I think okay, it, but Mr. McVeigh, that occurred. Yes. I, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I thought you were winding down there. Um, uh, Mr. McVeigh, you seem to have been saying though in your last statement, there was evidence that she had been exposed to information about the trial. And we know that the trial judge found that she had been inaccurate or potentially untruthful about her exposure. Why doesn't that become a big fact that weighs into the mix? It's the same question I asked Mr. Lynn. We know we have a juror who had been exposed pre-trial and who didn't acknowledge that when she was asked that. Um, why doesn't that become a big factor in whether the allegation of exposure during trial is credible? I mean, it, it, it seems to me to be circumstantial evidence of untruthfulness. Well, I would, I would respectfully disagree that, that that's what the record shows. This juror was asked very specific questions about her knowledge uh, of the impeachment proceedings. She was forthright and told- Well, wait a sec though, Mr. McVeigh. Question number six is, have you heard anything at all from any source about the facts? She wasn't asked about the commission. She wasn't asked about um, the indictment. She was asked, have you heard anything at all from any source about the facts? And the answer to that is clearly yes, from what we know. Didn't she say, didn't, wasn't didn't that question so. directed to the case, facts of the case, and the court was very specific in asking about the case and the impeachment proceedings. That's, and there was no question, there was no question that was asked about the facts of the case, and then none of the tweets talked about the case. It wasn't even an indictment. It wasn't even a grand jury uh, proceeding talked about. This, these were ethics uh, uh, violations and impeachment. And she answered that and said, yes, I did have knowledge of that. And so to the extent that she said, I have knowledge of the impeachment and the ethics, she is acknowledging all the facts that she had. It's, it's just not fair to say then when she's asked about facts of the case, uh, uh, and the court made a distinction between the impeachment and the facts of the case in his questions. Uh, he actually explicitly noted that in his question. I'm now talking about the case, uh, and she didn't answer yes to that. Uh, I, I agree with the uh, counsel that the record does not support that she was disingenuous in answering those questions. And counsel knew of this. 
counsel could have said, well, what did you learn about the impeachment? What did you learn about the ethics violation? Yes, I would I would agree with Judge uh, Niemeyer's assessment. There there was specific questions asked about the facts of this case. There was a difference made between those. She fully uh, acknowledged. Mr. McVeigh, how were yes. the facts different? How were the facts of this case different from the facts of the impeachment? About the Cass Gilbert desk and the couch? Well, there's a couple of responses to that. At the time that the uh, voir dire occurred, this juror would not necessarily have known what the facts of this case were. Uh, and, and so in order to, uh, to know those specific facts, she doesn't know. She admitted and fully disclosed the fact that she was exposed to, uh, to information about the impeachment proceedings. And remember, the, the one uh, aspect of this case that was most publicized was an issue of Justice Lawfrey uh, and the Cass Gilbert desk, which he took to his home. Uh, Judge Lawfrey was acquitted of that particular count. Uh, the jury unanimously acquitted him of the count. That was, that was one of the, the uh, most publicized aspects of the overlap, if you want to put it that way, between the impeachment and the trial itself. So this juror parsed out those differences between what was happening with the impeachment, what was happening with the ethics proceedings, and in terms of the facts of this case, uh, as it related to the criminal case, had uh, stated she'd do nothing further. I thought that the uh, <clears throat> basic line that the Supreme Court has drawn in this area of law was between exposure on the one hand and the uh, imposition or the intrusion of an outside influence on the other. And in case after case after case, the um, Supreme Court makes clear that exposure is unavoidable unless you want a, a jury which is uh, composed of ill-informed citizens, which you don't want. And today's media environment with a 24-hour news cycle, exposure is all the more unavoidable. The Supreme Court has made the point that you can't reason back from the mere fact of, of exposure, even detailed exposure, to bad faith. And of course, why dear is meant to address that. Now, when you move from exposure, uh, and I think Judge Richardson made this point very well earlier, because when you move from exposure to the intrusion of an outside influence, then the case begins, it seems to me, to take on a wholly different dimension. But in the absence of an outside influence that's being brought to bear on her, you, you have to, as Judge Quattlebaum has said, leave these kind of things up to the district court because that's exactly what the district court's assessment and its voir dire and its for greater familiarity and the rest is supposed to have confidence in. But as I understand it, this line between exposure and intrusion of outside influence has 
um, an important distinction in the Supreme Court's jurisprudence for many years. That's that's correct. It would be it would be difficult to uh, ever ever seat a jury uh, in a case that was highly publicized, such as as this one. And and yes, this juror had uh, outside knowledge about facts that may have been overlapping with regard to the impeachment and the ethics proceedings. But she and when you're dealing with exposure, it becomes very difficult to draw lines, as I say, because everybody's exposed. It would have been highly unusual of a trial which was this well publicized and this much of a public issue in West Virginia. It would be odd if people weren't exposed. And um, but but that's a different thing altogether from somebody trying to um, exert an outside influence upon a particular juror, which seems to me um, a, a, a much more serious problem than the mere fact of exposure. And, um, and as, I, as I understand the record, I don't think that there was a uh, kind of outside influence brought on this jury on this, by anyone. And that to me, when that line is crossed, that's a real red flag for me. But where we're just talking about exposure, I know the Supreme Court said you don't want a completely unexposed juror. They're probably lacking in a whole lot, including life experience and, and an interest in civic affairs. I would agree. And, and in this case, there's no evidence whatsoever that at least during the trial that uh, there was any exposure to any outside influence. And that's the issue here for this court to consider is whether or not that credible allegation under Remmer was made during, uh, of that contact during trial. And there's just no evidence whatsoever of her exposure to that. Um, and I apologize, my screen is not showing a time, so I'm not sure how much I have left. Counsel, you have four minutes left. All right, thank you. Um, Council, can, can I can I ask a question? Um, is it is it relevant here that um, the district court during the trial gave admonitions not to look you know, to to stay away from reports, media reports, or whatever about this case, as opposed to stay off social media altogether? And, my, and I guess another related to that, had the district court um, given instructions to the jurors to stay off social media altogether and there was evidence that a juror was on it, would that produce a different result? I believe it would. Uh, all the court's instructions, and they were fairly detailed and every day and uh, every at every break uh, was instructing them to stay away from news accounts. And there was a general instruction about newspaper, uh, uh, television news, as well as social media. Uh, there was instruction about that uh, prior to the case actually starting. And they were again reminded of that daily and certainly more than once daily uh, to stay away from news accounts about uh, the case. And 
were instructed to, if for some reason they accidentally came upon those, to immediately turn those off, ignore those, or whatever. And there Sir, is can I ask you about the second um, part of Judge Clarewell's question, in which you said, yes, if the instruction had been, don't go on social media, and this uh, juror did, that that would require a remedy. That's what I understood you said. Is that right? Uh, Judge, Judge Moss, you trailed off. Would you repeat your question? Yes. I thought, and this was going off of the end of Judge Quetelbaum's question, and he can correct me if I've misunderstood his question. But I thought I understood your answer to be that if the juror was instructed not to go on social media, and then it was uh, learned that he, the juror did go on social media, that would require a Bremer hearing. Not in and of itself, no. I think it Well, would be you said that would be a different case. And well, the, might, the big difference is whether it was a Bremer hearing or not a Bremer hearing. Yes. <laughs> it, I, I may have misunderstood your question. It, it if, wasn't my question. Judge Quattlebaum, was that not your question? Yeah, I was just trying to see what <laughs> um, what the government's position was right. as to whether the, the evidence involved um, violation of the district court's admonitions, how that factored into the inquiry. Sure. I, that seemed to be, that's my whole thing, is that there would be a different case, it seemed like, because you have improper conduct from which you could have circumstances that they may have been exposed, but the gateway still is improper conduct. Okay, but what I'm trying to understand I'm not, I'm not talking about you, Judge Mott. I'm just talking about, it, right? You agree that Mr. McMahon, well, there's a different Yes. Case. Now, you'd have to admit it. Factually, yes. that is... That, that, does make, that does make a difference. Right. I misunderstood. And, and so I'm, does that make a difference that you would get a Bremer hearing in? Yes, I believe That's it That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yes, I uh, But just a minute, you know, it, it, the jury were never instructed to stay off social media. They That's were right. instructed to stay off social media about the case. That's correct. Everybody, that was, that's Quattlebaum's point. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and if, I mean, if somebody gets on and says, I'll pick you up after school, uh, tech, uh, uh, tweeting to a daughter or whatever, uh, that wouldn't violate any instruction and wouldn't be relevant. And, uh, it's, and in this case, the only tweets we have are uh, two relating to football. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank you. Uh, excuse me, Judge. Uh, Chief, I'd like to ask the question before we conclude. All right. You don't mind? Sure. Um, I, I just want to delve a little bit in terms of where we are, in terms of we kind of delving between what the technology is here. This whole business of following and not following, there seems to be an allegation from at least Mr. Lynn's position that uh, there was at least a following that was going on on trial. You don't seem to dispute that. And so when we look at this, I, I think about plenty of jurors uh, of jurors indicate they have no exposure. We can get into the lawyer question of, well, were the specifics really, is she really specific asking the question? I don't think we want to go down that road of saying jurors have can be tied to a specific question with specific lawyer-like answers to them when we know what the purpose of this whole overarching duty is. It's a fair trial, is to make sure you're not exposed to, to things of that nature. But uh, there is a difference between pre-trial exposure, which is fair game during voir dire, and exposure during trial. And obviously, we do want an educated jury, we want one that's interested, but we don't want them reading about the case during the trial. 
And uh, if there is evidence here, she is following, and as you indicated, two reporters who are reporting constantly on this particular, and this is no ordinary case. This is not the little uh, bank robbery down the street that someone has to be doing and, and she's following. This is a case that's all in the media, as I understand it, and they are, they are constantly reporting on it. And there may be a difference in a case of this magnitude and, and one that's not of this magnitude, but Rimmer was decided in 1954, 67 years ago. I have every confidence they had no clue what a following or a tweet or even an internet was back then. And yet we, we as judges now asked to apply what we hope to be illuminating rules then that would fit differing circumstances and different situations. What we confront today is a simple question. And I think it is, when you look at it, is it, why don't we have a hearing? I'll, I'll end by asking this question. How long would such a hearing take in this instance in your best guesstimate? This is one instance I'll ask you to give a guesstimate because I'm not seeing a long hearing at all for this sort of situation. And, and then secondly, is there any dispute as to the fact, uh, as to the allegation that that she was at least following, whether passive or actively, during this trial. With regard to the your question about the length of the hearing, I would say probably no more than an than an hour, uh, if that. Uh, and there is no dispute that she followed both reporters on Twitter. However. What is not seen is that she actively followed them. There is no evidence whatsoever at any time that she- Well, let me, let me just ask the counter question. Is there any evidence that she did not actively? We do know at some point she did. Is there any indication she did not? There is, well, the, the indication that she did not is there's nothing to show that she engaged with them. She did engage with other, uh, with other tweets. I, I understand that, but you don't have to engage to follow actively, do you? You don't. Uh, and I would. And I mean, so that. when you say engage, there's no light up there. People follow Twitter tweets actively all the time, and they don't engage at all. Is that not correct? That's correct. What is so my question is that? Let me please, uh, Judge Niemeyer, if you don't mind, I'd like to continue this line of question because I think the technology here is something important for this court to understand when we are applying rules from a 1954 case in 2021 and and while I appreciate the different perspectives here I see the potential for an explosion of an abuse on the part of those who are coming to judge and give fair trials the first question when you go into specifics you know did you specifically ask about impeachment did you ask about this you know, the whole thing is, were you exposed? I mean, it, it, you know, is there something here that can that can influence your decision here? I mean, we can get beyond the lawyers. We're talking jurors. And so then we get into the business. We got two active reporters reporting every day. She has followed them actively. We don't have evidence that she's following actively here during the trial, but we don't, she is or not. So then we get to the question of should there be a hearing? You said an hour. But candidly, you, I think, admittedly, you say it's probably less than an hour. I probably think 15 minutes to 30 minutes would be it uh, for the determination of an issue of this magnitude. So that's where I've gone with this. What? How do you respond? Well, Your Honor, a couple of respects. Number one, Remmer still is the law. 
and judge copenhaver in the district court reviewed everything that was before him with regard to this particular case and that's that's what this concentration is on he reviewed all the evidence that was provided uh to him uh he considered everything that had happened during the course of the trial considered uh all that we've discussed today and uh determined that under remmer a hearing was not required and in order to show that a hearing would be required would have to see that judge judge copenhaver abused his discretion in carefully considering all the matters before him or the matters that weren't before him and particularly uh any evidence whatsoever that this juror had uh actively engaged or even passively engaged there's no evidence that she passively engaged with with twitter um there are a number of feeds that come up there's no information whatsoever that she was engaged with anything particularly with regard to this uh these two reporters what was the evidence that she followed these reporters i'm sorry what was the evidence in the record that she followed these reporters well there was evidence presented by the defendant that that was part of of a number of people or entities that she uh followed during the course of twitter but there was nothing let me just go back to that do any of those twitters show her following the reporters no hey that's the question the question not the allegation but what are the evidence there's no there's no there's no evidence of it have you ever said that before it seems like that's the first time i've seen that you seem to indicate when that allegation was made did you dispute the fact that the allegation though that the state was made that she was followed during trial i think there may be a confusion as to what following means i mean she followed these reporters the question is whether or not during the trial she she actually saw what was being fed through her twitter my question is what is the evidence she followed the reporters at all at any time what's the evidence right she has tweets during the trial is that not the evidence no not to the reporters not to the reporters not to the reporters you can tweet you don't have to follow anybody to tweet my question is is there any evidence she followed these two reporters at any time the only evidence that was presented is the allegations of the of the defendant and their pleadings with the district court thank you and did you dispute that did you dispute that i thought you conceded it in front of us we did yeah i did too yes i'm sorry what's your answer yes that's correct that you do concede it yes you can see how do you concede it if it's not been demonstrated why don't you just not dispute it it's just not disputed yes all right that's what i thought you meant that's a different word that you can see that's a very different word you 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 said you conceded look to me as though you did you didn't dispute it i can tell you that the only the best evidence against it is coming from the judges here who's questioning it but you didn't do that I don't know where that's coming from. The question is, though, were we under under abuse of discretion? What the district court had is evidence before it. Yes. Isn't that the issue? Many times. That is the issue. Right. Okay. Thank you so much, Mr. McVeigh. We appreciate it, Mr. Lynn. You have some time reserved. Thank you, Chief. I'd like to start with the uh, abuse of discretion standard. I think what's important to point out here is that uh, Judge Copenhaver did not apply the right standard. He did not even quote the phrase credible or genuine allegation. He focused entirely on 
uh, 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 sort of a brand of what Judge Qualabong was asking about, which was whether there was a violation, a proven viol violation of a jury instruction. A proven violation of a jury instruction, I think, would be very strong evidence in favor of a Remmer hearing, but I don't think it is required. Remmer protects against an extrajudicial contact. It protects the Sixth Amendment. It does not protect against a violation of a jury instruction. So there is some dispute here about what the jury was instructed on, obviously, it's the record. But I don't think you have to have a proven violation of the jury instruction you have to have get a Remmer hearing. And that is the analysis that Judge Mr. Lynn, let me ask this question because uh, Judge Wynn is a, a guru about this cybernetics and that in it. So I don't have the knowledge he has, but let me ask this question. I like simplicity. We try to make this thing live in terms of 1954, long time ago, and now what the world is. But isn't it similar to saying that if a juror read the newspaper about the story about the impeachment uh, just an incredible amount of times, 11 times as well, but then at the trial say, whatever I read about the impeachment, not ask about this trial facts, but about the impeachment, I can set it aside and do that. And if later we found out that the, that juror did not end her subscription to the newspaper, that would be circumstantial evidence that she must be still reading about it? Uh, no, Your Honor, I, I, I think there's a couple differences there. What's um, the difference? Well, oh, the first, I think, is um, that the question in the voir dire, can you put aside what you said before? I don't think, even if you take that question at face value and give it the full weight, Your Honor, that you're suggesting, that doesn't, that's not a question that says, and are you going to stop reading the newspaper? The question that you pose in your hypothetical is, can you put aside the things you read before? And our argument, the McDonough claim is- You're separate. not following what I'm saying. I'm, yeah, you put aside that. I'm saying though, because that's what you're doing, you don't have the improper conduct. You're saying because she still follows that that means that's enough circumstantially that she must have continued to read it. I'm that, saying, that, could, couldn't you make that same circumstantial evidence, the fact that she didn't end her subscription during the trial, if that's no, the same Honor. logic? No, Your Honor, and I think there's now a Tell me why not. You deal with the logic of that. You tell me why that's not the logical extension of that. Course, I think the different the 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 logic the analogy that would be more apt in your situation if she maintained her subscription would be, did she maintain a Twitter account? That would be the logical. But here, what we have evidence of is that she actually got on Twitter, on multiple, and so something closer to that would be that she was. But, but, but the fact though is, Mr. Lynn, I know a little bit about Twitter, just a little bit, but if you. If you follow someone, it simply means that in your Twitter app, you can get their tweets. But that doesn't mean that every time you go on and make a tweet, unless you scroll through all your feeds, you're not necessarily reading who you follow. Yes, you, Your Honor. For example, you're going to get on most iPhones, you maybe get two or three of the recent tweets. You would have to scroll into your feed. It may, in other words, so. You're making a lot of inference on top of inference that you're saying that every time she tweeted, before she tweeted, she went through all of her feeds, found that, read it. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's obvious this is a very important case, but it seems to me there's no real limiting factor as long as follow doesn't mean follow, meaning like 
I'm reading everything, it means I have access to an algorithm that Twitter allows me to get those tweets. And you can also get tweets are related to the same subject that people may have done. That could be any juror. With respect, Your Honor, I disagree. And, and I think it's- What did you disagree? What did, I, what did I describe about Twitter that you disagree with? Uh, I, I don't disagree what you said about Twitter. I think the facts here are different. I think it's not just a juror who has an active Twitter account who may or may not have gotten onto Twitter. What we have here is we know the juror was on Twitter on multiple days. We know that these individuals tweeted 73 times between them, which is a lot. And that means that their tweets are showing up more often. We know that she had the proclivity and the inclination and the interest to look for and read tweets about Justice Lawfrey. I think those are the facts that make this different from the case that you're worried about. Your well, Honor. those are not the facts because we just established the record did not show she followed the reporters. There's no evidence that she followed the reporters. So what she did do is she followed some news stories or some individuals during the summer four times in four months. And it was about the impeachment and the ethics investigation. And we have evidence that she did not follow them even after the uh, uh, trial. There is zero evidence that she followed these reporters. And you're trying to suspect that because she uses tweet, looked at some news during the summer, she therefore tweeted these reporters during trial. It just doesn't follow. <laughs> Your Honor, it, it was alleged that she follows them because you can see on her Twitter account that she follow, who she follows. We Where's have, the evidence of that? That's my have, point. There's no, I couldn't find any evidence and I'm asking you, where is the evidence that she followed uh, Bass and, and uh, uh, McElhaney? Your Honor, we, we allege it and the government didn't dispute it, just as the government did that not. That is not a fact. I want to see the fact. Do you have a fact in the record? I don't have the JA site here, but we do well, have- I, There is none. You happen to know the record, don't you? I do, Your Honor. We, and is we, there a single tweet where either Bass or McElhaney is being uh, uh, read or tweeted or okayed or looked at? Your Honor, there is no dispute here that there is no Bass or McElhaney tweet that she liked. He didn't dispute it, but it's still no evidence. In other it, words, he was saying basically that doesn't matter because his other arguments were better. But my question to you, and I'd just like you to get, answer the one question, does the record show that she followed these two reporters? I don't believe there is evidence in the record of her following. Now, I think it is important to point out the difference between following and a public like, which we've talked about, I think at length today. And we- I understand that, but that doesn't create the evidence. That's a possibility. What the evidence is what we're looking at in the record and your allegation is continuous that she followed these reporters who were reporting regularly every day. That was your allegation. Yes, Your Honor. We have zero evidence of that. That was our allegation, it was undisputed. And I think it's also been important to remember um, well, that's that's sort of the nub of what this is about. You make an allegation that's undisputed, and then you don't have anything else. But really, what we're getting, if we want to use the analogy, it's been brought up on a newspaper, and the whole business is, yeah, she's getting a newspaper, but we know she's reading the sports section. And here's where we are having a different difference of opinion. It's correct. But the question we don't know, is she scrolling through and seeing everything? I mean, she could have. And that's the key issue here, is that she could have. 
she's got a newspaper in hand and 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 she she we know she's looking at the sports page on this thing and we also know the pre-trial evidence and the whole bit here and the question is could she have gone through and gone through it that's all a rumor hearings done i don't know why this is so difficult to simply say let's just have a small hearing to find out if she did the question of the following stuff we can go in all day long we all know she didn't unfollow. There's no evidence here unfollowing has has occurred. So the evidence points in the direction she's following, which is why the government hasn't disputed it. And while we, we can go to the direct evidence of following, yeah, we can try to find that. We don't need that in this instance because this is a this is not a question of whether or not you are guilty or innocent. It's not a question of that. It's a simple hearing to ask a question. Did you look at those other sections while you were going through this newspaper? That's all it is. <laughs> Chief, I see my time has expired. If I could just wrap up with, with one sentence or two sentences. Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Uh, unless there are further questions, I don't, I don't want to. Mr. Lynn, I, I do have a question actually about this evidence issue. So, um, I mean, you would have been, I assume, if you've been put to the, the test, you would have been able to prove that in fact this juror was following these reporters, but you were relieved of that burden by the government's concession. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, Your Honor. I, I was not trial counsel, but yes, I think that applies. Are you, are you, are you really saying that? Are you really saying are that? You, you if you didn't have the evidence and you didn't put it on? <laughs> you didn't put it on? <laughs> I mean, well, what is the evidence you with that response? You said it. No, no, no. I, what I said was, it, I suppose the, the, the lawyer could have been put to that test, but he wasn't because the government conceded the point. So why did he need to put on evidence? I want to know what evidence the uh, defendant had at that time that she reported. What evidence did you have in your bag that you didn't put on because of the government statement? Your Honor, I don't know what trial counsel had at the time, but I will. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have any knowledge at this time that there was evidence? I don't have knowledge of what he had, but you can. We, do, we did have access to her Twitter account because her Twitter account was public. You can click on the list. And it of doesn't popular. show that she was a follower of it, these reporters. It does. Her Twitter account did show that she was a follower of these reporters. You can click on the, there's a, a, a banner at the top and it says follows. You can click on that and it shows the list of individuals. Where is she, that in the evidence? Uh, that just page, just about it. <laughs> that page but, is not in the evidence, Your Honor. It is, it was undisputed let, that she let, let, let me Let me ask that on this because I think this is where we're going on it. Uh, the questions Judge Niemeyer asked are good questions and the government should have done its job and maybe asked those questions. Question is whether we do it. But that evidence is public information. It not it? Isn't it already out there? Yes, it is. It's available. I mean, you can floor. find it right now. So if you, if it's out there, I guess the government, I, I'm telling you, the government made the decision because it was public information out there. This is nothing hidden and now it's gone. I think you can go find out now. Is that not correct? Are you suggesting we could That's, take- uh, But I want to ask that question, Judge. Can he not find out, can, can he not find out now? I believe if her <laughs> Twitter account is still public, which, which we believe that it is, yes, you could find out about it right, literally right now. So you can't get hung up on that point because that is out there. It was out there during the trial. And there's an obvious reason why the government didn't concede it, so to speak, because it was there. But it's but the following is really not the issue here. The, the following, it, it, we really get hung up on, well, is this evidence enough where you don't know? 
is enough now to conduct a hearing to find out. That's all. We, that's where we are. Not a question of the following. There's no question she followed. Well, we're having a semantic debate over following and what that means. I mean, I follow certain sports writers in the um, Daily Paper and and the Washington Post, and I look for their columns and I look for their reports and I I follow certain comic strips on a day to day basis and I. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't see anything particularly wrong with that because, you know, I, I like certain reporters and I come to trust their bylines and I come to trust their columns and what their take is. And, and, um, I suppose that would be, uh, you know, in the, in common parlance, I would be following them, but I think there was a certain amount of ambiguity and obfuscation as to what follow means and they're perfectly innocent ways to follow people your, your honor if i could answer your your question uh, as directly as i can following has a particular meaning on the twitter platform it means that you have chosen uh you actually have to click something for you know a particular individual's twitter account and that means that the algorithm which we don't know how it works if it's, it's private to twitter uh the company that means that the algorithm will put the tweet by that person into Don't follow somebody as a formal Twitter matter. Those uh, tweets don't show up in your feed unless someone has liked or retweeted that other individual's uh, tweet. So following has a very specific Well, I understand <laughs> that, but it also, it also has a perfectly pre-Twitter meaning, which can be carried over to the Twitter universe. When you follow something, it doesn't necessarily carry a sinister connotation. I understood, Your Honor. We're not suggesting that. We're using uh, follow in the Twitter vernacular. Uh, and so in, in other words, it's not a semantic disagreement. It, it has a specific meaning in a Twitter account. It, it's like hitting subscribe the subscribe button. In, in from from the perspective of the Twitter account, I think that's one very fair way of putting it, Judge Wayne. Right, Council. Last time I gave you a minute, and you took the chance to open the door up for unless somebody else have a question. Now, do you have something else to say? <laughs> or are you going to do do the same thing this time? I'm sorry, Your Honor. I will conclude. I will conclude. Okay, I'm trying to be generous with you, but you know, don't don't go too far with it. Okay. Thank you, Your All Honor. Right. All right, go ahead. The, the last point I wanted to make was, uh, I think the government had, had conceded in his opposition uh, argument today that circumstantial evidence can be enough. And he also said um, that uh, you can consider pretrial and post-trial activity uh, on Twitter. He's not disputing either of these things. And I think that the, the difficulty here is when you put this against the Harris case in the circuit, I think the facts here are far more compelling. And the last thing I will say is I think it is very difficult to imagine a situation in which there is enough circumstantial evidence of passive Twitter activity beyond what we have here. And if a hearing is denied here, the hearing will not be, uh, no defendant will be able to get enough facts together to look into a juror's passive Twitter activity. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Lynn, and thank you, Mr. McVeigh, for your argument, your presentation. We appreciate your help on these, these thorny issues. And uh, we can't come down and greet you as we would love to, 
but no, nonetheless, that we appreciate you very much. We ask that you be safe and stay well. Thank you so much.